0: hey podcast listeners ria here just wanted to let you know that i'm accepting applications for the last session of the fundraising accelerator if you want to raise more money from major donors and high net worth individuals this is the place for you the session will run from october to november 2021 special pricing is available for students who enroll before july 31st check it out at ria I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, my guest listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Gregory Warner, who is the CEO and founder of Market Smart. We're going to talk about engagement fundraising, and I think we're going to nerd out on some tech and data stuff, which I am all about. So, welcome, Greg. Hi. Hi. (laughs) So, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. All
1: right. Me, I'm a pissed off donor. Who decided to create software to help donors feel great about major gifts and make make sure that they inspire themselves to make major gifts? How about that? For oh, me? I
0: like that. I, so, okay, you're a pissed off donor. Say more about this, and say more about how your company helps pissed off donors.
1: All right. So, what I I came up with a term for what's going on, and I wrote about it in my book but it's a very small section. And what I call it, I, I say that there's fundraising climate change is happening, right? It's been happening slowly, and most people don't recognize that it's happening. But if you look at the data, as I have, and if you Google fundraising climate change, you'll find my stuff on it, it's, the data is all there. Up between 25 to 5% of people who are giving are dropping out of giving altogether. Donor trust is decreasing across the board. The Edelman Trust uh, Index now shows that private sector businesses are trusted more than nonprofits. More people, especially younger people, are inclined to let the government take care of things instead of let charities take care of them. There's more and more and more. This aging population is just, there's just a whole bunch of data points that are, are, creating this change whereby also uh, according to my data, because I run a a tool called the Fundraising Report Card that's got, I think it's $80 billion in data in it right now. You could put your data into it for free. It's a free tool, I invent a lot of free stuff. You'll see that it's about the majority of the donors make up 7% of all the revenue given to charity. But the majority of the dollars comes from half of 1% of the donors. So what that means is all the events and all the junk mail and all the spam is, is maybe not doing as, as good a job as we would hope.
0: Okay. There's okay. another way to do it. Yeah, so Greg, let's hone in on this because I am a big proponent. I've totally doubled down on major gift donors. And so when I talk to folks, particularly the smaller nonprofits, and they're like, we'll do a peer-to-peer campaign and we'll do like this online fundraising thing, all I can think of is that's kind of a waste of your time and money. It's never gonna lead to major dollars. And I agree with you that I think the way we think about fundraising is woefully out of date and old fashioned, like no one's sitting by their mailbox anymore waiting to get your solicitation appeal, right? So tell me more about your perspective on that.
1: Well, I wouldn't go so far as saying that all of that should go away because I've made up a lot of phrases for the sector. So I call this populist fundraising, right? So populist fundraising is not a bad thing. In fact, if you look at the Obama campaign masterfully, harness the power of populist fundraising. It's just that populist fundraising is best suited for political campaigns, not so much for charities that are trying to keep the lights on because it's expensive. So you have to understand your cost of acquisition and your lifetime value, which you can get that by using the fundraising report card. Again, that's free tool. So look, I'm a frustrated donor. I ended up putting my money, hundreds of thousands of dollars more in free tools for the sector and free content for the sector. Of course, I built a product also that we sell to the sector. But I put most of my money instead of into charities that were spamming me, selling my name to other charities. Their competitors, they were uh, calling me. they were they forgot to thank me when I gave them money, like five thousand dollar gift. Never heard from the person again. Found out two months later she quit. High turnover drives me nuts. My gift officers are always leaving. So when I say I'm a pissed off donor, it's partly just to get everybody's attention who's on this call. But it's also partly to just say that look, if you want money, you're going to need some honey. Attract some bees with it. Be nice.
0: Greg, you are singing from my playbook. The thing that drives me crazy is the lack of retention of donors. I call it hit and run or hit it and quit it fundraising, which is like you get the money, you go away, and then maybe you come back for the, the next gift. And you're like, well, what what did you do with my money from the last gift? And like, maybe I got a thank you note that was super perfunctory. That doesn't make me feel great.
1: Yeah, here's where the the rub happens, okay? Is you really have to give a substantial amount of money and you have to think, like, fundraisers should, should give a lot, right? They should see what it feels like to give and they should really think hard about what it's like to give and why they're giving. So my employees, every dollar they ever donate to charity, I match because I want my employees to understand what it feels like to be a donor, even if they are only giving a, a small amount. You have to understand that it's the same process, whether you're giving 10 bucks or you're giving 10 million bucks. Look, to Elon Musk, $10 million is 10 bucks to everybody else, right? And to the wealthy, it's it's proportionate, but- you, it, you still go through the same process where you're trying to, if you really boil it down, you're just trying to feel good. It feels good to give. It's good for you. People who give live longer, right? They uh, There's so much science behind it, but you have to go through it so that you understand what it feels like. And here's, here's what I'm trying to say, because I'm getting on my soapbox, but you have to really understand what are they looking for in exchange for money. So I've been a marketer all my life since I was 12. Okay. I'll tell you the truth. So let's get really deep. So my dad left when I was 12, boom, gone, because my mom was mentally ill. Boom. I got so scared that I and I wanted to make money. The lights were going off. We had social services coming in and checking on me and stuff. So what did I do? I went up and down the street knocking on doors asking people if I could knock if I could wax their car and clean it for money so I could buy myself clothes. Okay? That's real that now what I learned at 12 was that any exchange of money happens for value Provided. Yes. Charity and philanthropy is no different, although people want to think it's altruistic, it's not. Everybody is seeking something. It might be notoriety, it might be taxes, but more so, it's in the end, people want to look themselves in the, in the mirror at the end of their life and say, I was a good person. I did it. I did it right. I did it well. And if you're Jewish like me, it's, it's called tikkun olam. Okay, that's the phrase in Judaism. There's really two big things in Judaism. There's life, it's lachayim. These are Hebrew words. So lachayim, and then you have tikkun olam, repair the world, make it a better place than what you found it, right? This is why people in re- religious organizations, they, it's just fallen off the trees. Because it's embedded into everything. Now, the other people who aren't, uh, she's like, stop,
0: Greg. Stop. All right, I know. I, I, I got I got to jump in here because there are like so many things that I want to uh, jump on. Okay, so to your point about the differentiation of donors, like $10 versus $10 million, I agree with you. Like everybody who gives any amount should feel good about it, right? In a world where you have limited time and resources, how do you suggest that we we care for and steward our donors when like maybe you have a one person, two person development department. And so realistically, yeah, I'm going to pay more attention to the $10 million donor versus a $10 donor. Say more about that.
1: So, well, that's the software I invented. Is this supposed to be, am I allowed to talk about that?
0: You can talk about your software.
1: All right. I mean, cause it answers the question cause there's otherwise there's not really any way to do that. I mean, traditionally the way, before I got into the sector, cause rem- I was a marketing agency, this is a marketing guy who got made money and gave it to charity and got pissed off and then helped charities with marketing. And then it, it, I realized, so here's the thing. And, and just for people who are like, hold on, what the hell is he talking about? So I, I looked at, we were a marketing automation service provider, meaning there's companies like HubSpot, Marketo, if you have Salesforce Hub, you have Pardot, right? So that's great. Blackboard has marketing automation. There's all kinds of automation. But nonprofits don't really know how to use it to do exactly what you just said, is how do you figure out who's that one person who wants to give a million dollars today? It doesn't exist. So I invented the marketing automation system that is donor driven, but also it's done for you. So nonprofits don't need more staff. They don't need uh, to train them. They don't need to watch them fly away when they go get a different job with all the training you gave them. You You just turn us on and my team builds it out, uses the best practices from hundreds of nonprofits and all the words the subject lines, designs, everything we're monitoring to figure out. How do you inspire major donor prospects to move themselves, through the consideration continuum so they finally raise their hand saying they need to talk to you about giving. That's what the system does. Turnkey, out of the box, we do it for you. But how does it work is what you're wondering. Go ahead.
0: Well, yes, how, like, Yes. How does it work? Is my first okay. question. And then the second question, like tactically sort of what are some of the tools that you use? Because I, I read your book, which I found fascinating. I'll put it in the chat for folks who are interested in it, but the idea of a survey, so simple, but I was like, duh, why don't we do this? For-profit okay. companies do this all the time. So let's talk about that. But first let's yeah. go to the, how, how does it how does the it back work? End, how right. does it work?
1: So look, when I was in the private sector marketing Every customer that we worked with, they used my system, which was to ask customers about themselves, generate repeat business, and then go find out more, go find more people like them. Sound familiar? Right? <laughs> right? So then I, I was like, well, why don't I just apply this to the nonprofit sector? And they're like, you don't understand. Our consultants tell us not to do this and not to do that and do this and do that, and surveys are for research. And I said, bullshit, they're not for research, they're to generate money. Your whole fucking job, sorry, is to generate money. So look, if, if you if you want to engage in a highly consideration highly considered sale, The decision-making process is like six months to two years. Same thing for fundraising. I created, I funded a study and found that. Six months to two years to generate a major gift. You cannot treat it transactionally. So... It's the 2020 benchmark study and anyone connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll send you all this stuff I funded or whatever. So in a highly considered decision, not a transactional impulsive decision, you need to gain information. It's called donor discovery, but that's hard to do at scale and nobody ever answers phones anymore. So how do you get to do donor discovery? Well, they're scared of you. They don't trust you. Remember, I just said that fundraising climate change. Why would they trust you? right? So they've given to your organization, everything, but they don't trust you. No offense. They never met you. They don't trust you. So, and they're going to let you into their home. So you can ask them about their finances and how they want to find meaning in their lives. They don't do that. So what happens these days, thanks to our technology. I mean, since we started it 11 years ago, I didn't see anyone else doing it this way, is that we, we ask Donors and non-donors, people who just like you on Facebook or, Silver, or, or, or Twitter or whatever. LinkedIn is actually the best because those are the wealthiest ones. Anyway, you give them an opportunity to provide feedback. If you ask people for advice, they'll give you money. If you ask them for money, they'll give you advice. Ask them how they feel. How do they want to find meaning in their lives? How would they want to give? They tell it all to the brand. Then we put a cookie on their browser and we take all those verbatims that they gave us and we monitor where they're clicking on the web pages, your web pages, and that goes into our algorithm to help determine how to spawn these automated emails and how to write them, which our system automatically writes them. It crafts them based on what they said, where they are in the consideration continuum, how they want to gain value and then your emails talk to them and provide them with value for six months to two years or more. And then as they move themselves through the consideration continuum, you get alerts to tell you, this 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 person's ready. In fact, they click the button. They want to talk to you. They set up an appointment. It's on your calendar now. That's how the right. system works.
0: I, so there are so many things that I love about what you're saying, but I do think that, the, that there's this outdated notion of moves management, which actually I think is is insulting, frankly, because it assumes that you're doing things to the donor. It assumes that the donor like, is not smart enough to figure out for themselves what they want to donate to and how they want to be treated. And so what I love about what you're saying is just ask them, engage in a conversation and be with, on, on a journey with them, not to them.
1: Well, I'll tell you this, 92% of the people who take the survey are not ready to talk to you. I mean, here's the thing, and this is, this is the thing that pisses me off about the sector, right? There's a hundred plus million dollars, probably $200 million that goes from nonprofits into wealth screening, why? What usually happens with that data? It sits on a shelf until the next time that the wealth screening salesperson comes along and says, we need to refresh it, why, why? so so then then it's like okay great you just spied on your donors so that you can get publicly available information like why don't you go tell them that you did that you won't you cringed when i said that why because it's fucking
0: wrong well here here's the thing is too i think it's it's (laughs) procrastination right it's like i feel like a lot of fundraisers spend so much time amassing research and like doing all the things and creating the spreadsheets and the motion engine, but they don't actually just pick up the phone. They don't actually just make a connection. They don't actually just like try to have a human connection with a person.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, look, I was a salesperson until I created the marketing company and as a salesperson being the top salesperson where I worked out of 15 people, and I did, uh, what did I do? There were 15 salespeople. I did about 35% of all the revenue. I don't know how that math works out, but it means I did good, right? So so the, the, the this is called analysis paralysis. So I would watch them. They are in my room with me. They get the leads and they would analyze that data. They would think about it. They would think about their approach, all that kind of stuff. It's like, hold on, it's not that complicated. If you stop thinking and you you just start caring, stuff starts working, right? It's not about you and it's not about what you're trying to get from them. Instead, it's all about them and fundraisers shouldn't be, they shouldn't call you guys fundraisers. You're not, you're facilitators, you're givers. Your job is to give to your supporters. The ones with the most capacity Find out how you can give to them so they realize the best version of themselves, recognizing that they don't know how to do it. You are Yoda, if you like Star Wars. You're supposed to show them the way of the Force so they don't go to the dark side and die before having made the world a better place. That's your job, how to do that.
0: Yeah. They I, I say this all, all the time is everyone wants to be the hero of their own story, right? So our jobs are helping them to be the hero. And I think you, you've hit upon one of my bugaboos, which is like nonprofits spend too much time talking about themselves. We did this, this, that, the other. Here's all the great things about us. Nobody cares. People want to talk about themselves. That's all they want to do. So
1: let's continue with the Star Wars, right? Because I don't know, Some if you haven't seen Star Wars, then where have you been? But right, so Luke Skywalker, right? This is the big thing I was getting to is that our system and now I'm promoting it but it's the thing that's backwards. It's not about how wealthy someone appears to be because that's all BS data. It only shows the tip of their iceberg. You don't know what's really there and it sends you on wild goose chases. So the real indicator of likelihood that you're gonna raise a major gift is their recency of deep engagement and passion. Recency, recency. Did they come to your college for the alumni weekend? Last weekend, not three years ago, last weekend. Okay, I'll call them on Tuesday. How was it? What could we have done better? So on and so forth, right? Did they click online and watch a video of somebody getting food? That's a different, That now the passion is high. Recency, that's the key. So yeah. let me let me I'm sorry, one more thing because Star Wars, very important, right? Luke didn't give a squat about the Death Star and Darth Vader. He didn't even know nothing about it, Luke Skywalker. Right? obi Wan Kenobi comes and he says, You've got to go with me and help fight against everything, right? And Luke says, No, I'm not gonna do that. And then they go over here and then they come back. And what happened? His little house in the desert is gone, and his, his aunt and uncle are dead. Now the timing's good. Oh, now I want to be a hero. Right,
0: right. You see? For me, I always use dating analogies, right? So it's like, if you took someone on a date a year ago, and then you didn't hear from them, or they didn't hear from you, good luck getting another date. But if you took someone on a date last week, and it was fantastic, well, guess what the next best time to go on a second date is? now.
1: I think your analogy might be better for the sector because I've been married 25 years, so I don't know a squat about dating. Yesterday was my 25th anniversary. Oh, mazel. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah.
0: But, but yes, treat your donors the way that you treat any relationship in your life. and And timing is everything, right? And I do think a lot of times what I've seen with fundraisers is that they're so scared of rejection that they don't get out there. They're not talking uh-huh. to people, right?
1: So, so this is the thing. And whether you use our system or not, trust, look, I've, I created the guide for how to create donor services. I give everything away. It's all in my book. And I'll even give you my book for free because, uh, yes, I want to make money, but this is my way of being philanthropic. So if you read the book, you'll learn everything and you can do it all yourself, which is fine, fine. Well, I, I guess what I was saying is that you, you need to a, a, put out talking you to need people to ask questions That's rather right. than just calling people thinking. And there's a, there's a webinar that I've done on this about how to make calls. So the book is called engagement fundraising, but I call this engagement calling and mm-hmm. it requires a mandatory mandatory, maybe even more, please do more than two outreaches where you are only offering value. You don't ask for anything, you offer value in it. That might include an opportunity for people to take a survey because there's pent up demand for them to talk to you because otherwise all they've been getting is this one-way communication, which is usually solicitation. So they're like, yeah, Survey, great, I finally get to self-qualify and show you how much I care because I'm one of the 10% that took the survey. Guess what that means? I care more than the others. So it's donor-driven is the idea, not moves management. You can't move donors. The only thing you can do is help them move themselves. That's your job. This moves management. I don't understand where these things came from, but I'm here to say, come on stop. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. You can only facilitate a way for them to support the organization. And and it just starts getting crazy because it, this moves management assumes that everyone is the same. Like there, we do X, Y, and Z for every single person. It's like, okay, well, you can have some ideas about what you might do, but it really is, my answer is always, it depends, right? Some people like email, some people like text, some people like phone calls, some people don't want you to call them at all. Some people want you to go away. You just have to know.
1: Yeah, and let me let me point out that a lot of the problem with this, though, is not the fundraiser's fault. In fact, I'm going to blame most of it on leadership and the board, okay? I'm going to tell you because they underfund training, and the training that they spend money on is not good training. In, in fact, in the most mission statements, it doesn't say squat about the donor. That's not cool. I mean, what? Shouldn't part of your mission be to help donors find meaning in their lives through funding this cause? I don't get that. Also, why why is it that, that leaders and board members focus so much on transactional outcomes? They need to be looking at pipelines. Again, this is a part of our software. It shows the pipeline because if you can see the pipeline and the cadence of migration of how long it takes for someone to migrate themselves through the decision-making process where they make a $5 million gift. Then what the board and the leadership should be looking at is how big is the pipeline and what is the cadence of at each stage of the consideration process? And what's the cadence of how they're moving through? And what can we do to help them move through more, which usually means hiring more gift officers, which is another problem. Why would you call someone like a a title that's honestly like half the society doesn't like officers right now anyway. So what are you going to do, arrest them if they don't make a gift? I don't understand this stuff. What is advancement? I don't understand this, so I would prefer you call them like a philanthropic facilitator or a philanthropic counselor or something. That's your job is to help people understand philanthropy, especially because most of these people are entrepreneurs or or what and they they spent most of their life figuring out how to acquire wealth. They don't know squat about how to give it away. That's you,
0: yeah, well, and the other thing I- I'm reminded that you said was when marketing, we talk about the no like trust factor. I didn't hear about that until I started doing entrepreneurial things. And I was like, oh, why don't we talk about that in fundraising? Because at the end of the day, people give to people. When I started fundraising at 26, I didn't know anything about anything. All I knew was I had a good idea and a decent personality. <laughs> and I just hung out with people. Like that's how I learned how to fundraise. And yet I, I feel like people make it so complicated.
1: So the cornerstone in the foundation of all meaningful relationships that result in transaction is trust. Never forget that. Never forget that. I will tell you even when I was a kid and I walked up and down the streets to knock on the doors, I didn't just say, hey, do you want your car waxed? I would say something more like, Hi, I'm Greg Warner. I live right down the street. I'm at 77 Livingston Avenue, the Brown House. Why do you think I did that?
0: No like and trust.
1: Yeah, I'm in your neighborhood. I'm like you, I'm here. I'm not just coming here to scam you. And then I would say your car is looking pretty dirty. Are you okay with that? (laughs) I would try different things. I'd say, okay. you know, did you know? And now here's a. so did you, the brake fluid takes off like paint and, and rubs and all kinds of things, right? Brake fluid. Nobody knows that, right? So I would put it in a towel, a little towel. They wouldn't know. And I'd say, I have a magic towel. I could get that rub right off there. So they would be like, what do you mean? There's, I'd say that thing. It looks like you hit a bumper or something. They're like, yeah, I know. That's been annoying. I go, I'll show you. I'll get it off in like two seconds. And then they'd go out there with me. I'd take the the the, the I the, I didn't show them I put brake fluid in it cuz they would never let me do it. So then I would just rub it and it comes right off. Right? And they're like, "No, how'd you do that?" I said, "That's what I do." <laughs>
0: That's what I do. I'm, I I get scuffs off.
1: <laughs> That's what I do. I'll clean your car. It's 25 Wait. bucks. That's all I charge. That's how old I am.
0: I am on this single woman mission to stop people from talking about their pitches. If I hear one more person talk about their pitch, I'm going to shoot myself in the face because the pitch, the, the way people think about it is it's like I'm going to say like some magical combination of words that it will unlock a gift. It's like, I, look, maybe someone has done it. It's never happened for me. I've raised millions of dollars, right? It is a conversation and people have to know who you are and they have to be able to look you in the eye and and understand why you care about this thing, why they might care about this thing and what we can do together. Say more about the pitch, because I I, like single-handedly want to burn the pitch down.
1: Well, I don't have much to say about the pitch because I I don't do pitches. I've never done pitches. Questions are the key. Okay. Selling is not telling. Questions. That's how you So like I even just told you look I learned this when I was 12 right it's not that hard Did you did you see that scuff on your car what's that that's a question You know How about what if I just knocked on the door I have a super magic and 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 I'm going to pitch you this magic uh, uh, towel and it'll clean your car Yeah All transactions occur because of emotions and you can't elicit emotions with pitches. Now, the other thing though, what you can elicit emotions with is stories. So that's where every story though needs to include and you have to ask questions to help supporters, donors recognize that they can be the hero in their life story. So, the story is not, look at how great our organization is. This is what we did. That's the end of the story. The, quest, the, the story is here's a supporter, by the way, as an example, here's a supporter like you who was concerned because they had a liquidity event, they sold their business, just like you. You said you just sold your business, you know. But the story is that they were looking for a way to find meaning in their lives. And we were the conduit for that. And in the end, the person that benefited was this. But what's really great is the person who gave the money and made that possible. And we were able to help them see the the potential of the wealth they accumulated and what they can do with it. And and so would you like to learn more about what you might be able to do? Don't worry. I'm not going to pressure you to give me money. I'm just here to help you learn.
0: That's right. Okay, wait, I keep saying the last question, but I, this is genuinely the last question, because I don't know if you are familiar with this thing that people are talking about, you know, community centric fundraising. And look, on the one hand, I, Absolutely think that community should be part of the conversation, part of the decision making. But at the end of the day, people are in it for them, like the what's in it for me. And everybody wants to feel special. I always think about Danny Meyer here in New York, a restaurateur that says, imagine everyone is walking around with a a visible sign around their neck that says, make me feel special. So I'm curious, what is your stance on community centric fundraising?
1: Um, I don't have enough to go on about it. Because it's evolving, even as at this very moment, and it's changing, and they're learning, and they're testing, right? I think there's a lot of emotion behind it. There's a lot of politics behind it. And I don't really think that politics and everlasting concepts like philanthropy and tikkun olam mix very well. Politics are fleeting. Other things are more everlasting. Finding meaning in your life is something that we all seek. My concern is, and so so I don't have much to say about it. Okay, I will caution people though, to be uh, judicious in what they do as they test out new concepts because it's not a good idea to shame donors. I've seen conversations where people say things like they ought to give, these are not helpful phrases. Making people feel bad is a universally bad thing no matter what your politics. So I just, I get it that there's a lot of emotion and there's a lot of curiosity I, I, again, I, I think the jury's out. I'm not against it or, or for it. I just, I'm for anything that makes human beings feel good. And to the, there's one other cap I'll put on it is that be careful looking at wealthy people like they're evil and inhuman. As a Jew, I know something about dehumanization. So be careful with dehumanizing people for one specific reason or another. It's not nice. That's all.
0: Yeah, and Greg, I I will say, this concept of dehumanizing wealthy people is strange to me. I love wealthy people. Those are my favorite people. (laughs) All right, we have another question.
1: They, they, they they eat food and go to the bathroom just like the rest. That's right. And most of them, frankly, are not happy. Right. Our society, so here, I'll get on my soapbox and then I'll shut up, but our society really is stupid because it's focused on things like who's wealthy and who isn't, or who gets college and who doesn't, and things like that. The core aspect of humanity is to find meaning in your life, to realize the best version of yourself, and to repair the world and make it better than you, lo- you found it. It has, And most people who are wealthy are not happy look at the people who win the lottery. They end up committing suicide. It's like, what is this jealousy of, I mean, why are you jealous about it? So they have more money. Most people in the most impoverished countries are happier than the people in America. What are we doing here? We're fighting over what? It's stupid.
0: Yeah. And what, Everyone on the call, if you haven't reread your Viktor Frankl, get on it. It's on my bedside table. Man, search for meaning.
1: Frank and Will Durant. Read Will Durant.
0: Durant. I don't. All right. I'll put it on the list. I'll I'll read it.
1: Finding meaning because Will Durant a hundred years ago sent letters to all the smartest people in the world, including Gandhi and such, and he asked them. How do you find meaning in life? And he got letters back and they explained. You wanna, f- I mean, they're all different, but it's amazing. These are the most brilliant people on earth. Yeah, Will Durant, but Frankl is is very good. It's a good step. Do Frankl first maybe if you can stomach all the Holocaust stuff.
0: Well, it's a, it's a short read, it's a good read. All right, uh, we're gonna jump into this. Felix, you had a question.
2: So Gregory, so I'm I'm fascinated by your style, by the way. So you're sort of like a naturally born salesman, but mm-hmm. but you also have a sense of purpose and and, and a sense of authenticity. So mm-hmm. when I heard you describe the system, it seems awfully manipulative. Without judgment, I'm just saying, right? As somebody who's on the internet a lot, I'm constantly being bombarded with people trying to manipulate me, right? Suck me into this, suck me into this. Occasionally, I, I fall into it, and then all of a sudden, a, a bunch of things start happening. And I, that tends to scare me a little bit. So my question is, how do you go from this uh, seemingly deceptive, manipulative marketing system of questions into really getting to a place where you're making a genuine connection with the donor? Like how, a if I go question. through your system and I'm a donor, am I, how do you get to me genuinely?
1: This is a great question because when I was building the company, and my daughter is now a senior in college, but when I was building the company, she would 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 say, "Daddy, you're you're creating you're creepy, but you're good, right? You're creepy, but you're good. You so we're creeping on people. You're right, but." And every once in a while, a donor will even like figure it out and they'll somehow find our website or whatever, and they'll call up the fundraiser and they'll say, you're using this system and it's this, that, the other thing. And we coach them and we're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. If they really care about this organization, they realize that they, it's only got one fundraiser or seven or whatever. The, and the donors keep saying, you have to cut your costs. And I want my money to, I don't want to pay for fundraising and everything. So this system is using the AI to do what 50 fundraisers could do, but I'm only one. So I'm trying to steward your money in the best way possible. And I'm trying to do it with a system that's value oriented and it's donor driven if you'll engage with it, rather than being targeting and spying.
2: Does that help? Yeah, so in the experience, I'm just curious because I'm also mechanically oriented, like what's behind the scenes, right? Like what's the experience like that I'm going to get to a place where I can trust you and then I can give you the money? Sure.
1: So right? here's what what happens is the system writes emails that fundraisers should write and could write if they only had time to review a thousand surveys go through them, figure out that kernel of information that that person needs, put a link in the email, and offer it to the individual in a colloquial, non-text-only. It's not marketing. It's coming from the gift officer, and the fundraising teams approve the guts of what we create. Think of it like Mad Libs on steroids, if you're familiar with Mad Libs, right? So this system and the AI thinks about it and sends it at a cadence that's appropriate and such. And it's constantly improving. Now, no offense to fundraisers, but you have no idea what subject line will get someone to open and click and and go forward. Because you haven't tested it. Mm -hmm. Because we have with hundreds of organizations and tens of thousands of emails. So we're constantly improving the communications, especially the subject lines. This is funny. Everybody will spend a million minutes working on an email to a donor and then they throw a subject line on it. Well, that's dumb. The most important thing is your subject line. You should spend a hundred hours on the subject line and testing it and then and then and then write the email. I mean, if they don't open it, you, you you're out of luck. And then they wonder why do donors not call me back? Well, it's because you haven't. You haven't really done anything. You're you you're thinking about yourself. Think about them. Work hard. To th- it's all about them. That's what the system does at scale. So yeah, a little creepy. But in the the truth is, nonprofits cannot afford to do this because the budgets are going to postage and printing so that we can we can run machines to print stuff that then go in the trash and then go in the. Landfills, and then the postage goes up by 6.5% last year. What is this? Most of the money is not coming from those people. It's coming from these people, and there's so much of it now. It's so frothy, in fact, that they won't even give it to charities. They just put it in a donor-advised fund until they gain trust. And then the charities say, well, that's not cool. They shouldn't put it in a donor-advised fund. It means it's our money. No, it's not your money until you earn the trust. Well, why is the donor advised funds? They should be forced to give it. A- no, they shouldn't be forced to give it away. You haven't earned the right to that money, so the donors and the banks have figured out a way to not give it to you, because you keep screwing around with sending junk mail. Am I getting hot? Like,
0: and well, Greg, I mean, if, if I'm understanding your your system correctly, it cues up the person to actually have a genuine conversation, right? Well, so they it, reply, it, it, or they right. set an appointment. Yeah, they right. just reply.
1: They 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 think, I've seen replies where they're like, the, the, the first line, the donor replies, I just saw one recently. She says, well, the fundraisers, you'll never know her. Her name was Elizabeth. She replied, Elizabeth, your parents brought you up right. Thank you for this message. I've never received anything like this, blah, blah, blah.
0: That's how it's done. We've got a question coming in from Rosemary. Rosemary, you're going to meet yourself and ask. Hi. So, my question is how, at what scale do you need to have in
1: terms of a donor base for this system to work? What about for tiny little bitty nonprofits who only have 120 donors or 212 donors? Like, at, at what point does it begin to work? And below what point does it just not work because you don't have enough? Yeah, for the system. This is a great question. The smallest organization we ever worked with had 880 donors in their system, your emails, I should say. And it worked. It worked. Okay. Generally, though, if you get smaller than that, you really, I I mean, look, our system is not really inexpensive. It costs the same as if you were to subscribe to Pardot, Marketo. Any of those, HubSpot, right? It's the same, pretty much the same price, maybe a little cheaper with us, but we do it all. We do it all for you. So, but a smaller organization should really start first and foremost with a survey for their board only. So in your quarterly meeting, give them in their board packet, like right before the break or or something, or after the break, give them that survey, right? Remember, it's not for research. And the important questions are like, how would you consider giving? Where are you in the stage of the consideration process for each of this? You're looking for assets, real estate, gifts of life insurance or beneficiary designations of such, big gifts, IRAs, right? Most of them don't, but this also pertains to if you have the right board. So, too many organizations have like where the whole board is none of them have any capacity. Well, that's not cool. Now, I, I, I now here's a community-centric thing where I think boards should be inclusive and diverse. That I'm for, but that doesn't mean a populist kind of diversity where there's not one person who <laughs> has capacity. Come on. So, ask the start with your board and then start spreading it out to others and you can do this on your own again i'll give you the book I'll, yeah
0: yeah we'll make sure to get that link and put it in the show notes and to make sure to send it out to everyone on the call but so great let's talk about the scale question again so you you said about 800 folks on the list is that because of the data set and the sample size or is it really just a consideration of how much A nonprofit could afford to pay for it.
1: No, our system is is we don't work like that. I don't like that. Like these these companies look for in the private sector. I got it. Yeah, the bigger your list, the more I charge you. When I got into the private into this nonprofit sector, I was like, no, 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 no. I want to build software that's scalable, so you can make more money. It's just this is it. It's not big. I don't like these companies that charge you per or or based on your revenue or something. So this one that I mentioned, the 880, was uh, the, the Tidewater Jewish Fa- Foundation or Federation, Tidewater, Virginia, tiny little place in Virginia. And they just didn't have that many, many people. It worked because they got a very high, they have a high quality donor base. So if you have a very low quality, like they're, they, 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 they let's suppose all of your donors gave because they were at a funeral or funerals, and they gave in honor of somebody who is a friend of their their whatever. But I mean, it, those aren't committed people, but people, if your list is filled with, it's more about quality is what I'm trying to tell you. We have Salvation Army, we have AARP, we have Habitat for Humanity, but we also have little, a little humane society in, in Oshkosh, wherever. So it matters about, it's more about quality of your donor base and it's more about are you really going to do something with the data because even if it, it's it's not about getting 500 leads it, it, and again it, you don't want our system if you're only going to get five leads but if you if you do it on your own and and you 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 tar- target I hate to use that word but you invite say 50 people into this process you send out surveys you get 20 back then you send letters, you create it's not moves management, but it's okay, I'm gonna send out letters offering value and emails offering value, and I'm gonna do it at this cadence. So yeah, you're doing it manually, but it will work,
0: okay, last question, I know it's coming in from Felix. so say it a little bit without turning this into a commercial, but does your system also identify new donors or is it about dealing? you know and, and managing the data set that already exists.
1: Yeah. This is the great thing about the, the one of the great things about the system is it 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 crushes it by bringing in new major donors, right? So these people who are on the internet, they're on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter, they're whatever or or they're are they're attending an event but they're they're not really a donor, right? They're looking for the off-ramp of one highway and the on-ramp to the other, but nobody's ever given it to them except through via a solicitation or a crass cold call. The And they're not even a donor yet, so they're not even in the database to be able to, to call them. So you give them that, you ask invite them to take a survey. And by the way, we have seven other offers that get people from the off-ramp to the on-ramp. I won't go into all them because the survey is the simplest one for everybody to understand, but invite them to take the survey even if they're a Facebook like, right? And and because the ones that do are showing it. And then when they get to the question that says, would you ever consider one of these gifts and where are you, how likely would you be? And, and then they click that, yeah, I would consider a gift of appreciated assets from stock. And I, I would be likely to do that fairly soon. And I'm retiring soon. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a lawyer, I whatever it is. You'll get that information from them. And then guess what? Wow, they just went from a Facebook like to a major gift prospect. This, whoever invented this pyramid I always heard about is this doesn't make sense either, right? You, What, you're going to go send them a letter asking them for 10 bucks first so they move themselves up the pyramid in some mysterious way? That's not going to happen. The person wants to find meaning in their life now. They're selling their law firm. They're going to have a liquidity event, and they have appreciated assets to give. They were liking you on Facebook. They took the survey. Don't ask them for 10 bucks. Go meet with them.
0: Okay, so. Those gifts will be big. Here's the thing about the survey, which like kind of blew my mind when you and I spoke about it. This is the last thing we're going to say before we sign off. But like, and maybe it's because I'm not a survey taker, but the fact that you have put out these surveys where people are actually telling you all of this personal information blows my mind. So t- say more about that because uh, I it just like, I can't wrap my head around it.
1: Firstly, you have to understand the massive, it's, you can't, I have to thank my team, right? It's not me, we spend massive amounts of time testing and, and and working on how do we get completion rates to be as high as sometimes 28, 30%, but as low sometimes as 1%. It's more about the list than about how good our system is. But you just really have to understand that there's pent up demand for engagement. It's It's people are, wanting a connection. Here's the other, the big thing. So you have to understand when you look in the brain of a human, when they're thinking about charity or philanthropy, the part of the brain, according to Dr. Russell James, the part of their brain that lights up is the part that's the same as what lights up when they think about family. That's different than a product. So you think about surveys, you usually think about it in terms of a product and a company and my car is a Toyota, they sent me a survey, screw them, I'm not going to fill it out. Of course you don't fill it out. But when your family comes to you asking for advice, do you respond? You respond. In fact, people care about their charities more than their families. That's why these, these people take their family out of their will and leave the money to the charity. So what I'm trying to tell you is the survey is an invitation for dialogue at an arm's length, because there's no trust yet for you. I love it.
0: Don't doubt it. I love it.
1: All right. Just don't use it for research. Don't let the PR people or the research people muck it up. It's a donor discovery conversation.
0: Yep. I love it. All right. So for those of you listening if you don't have the big shot, you can start with the survey. Greg, thank you so much for offering to give us a copy of your book. I will make sure to link that in the chat. And where can people connect with you, Greg, on the interwebs?
1: Yeah, it's mostly LinkedIn. I don't do Facebook or Twitter, I don't think. Maybe my social media people do, I but I'm a LinkedIn person. Yeah, so find me there. I have a group called the Major and Planned Gift marketers, LinkedIn group. I give a ton away for free. And if you can't find it or you're thinking about it, just reach out to me. I probably have the answer or the content, or I can connect you with a scientist, a researcher, or somebody who can. I'm a giver. Awesome.
0: (laughs) Greg, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Everyone go out and connect with your donors and raise a lot of money. So Greg, appreciate you being here. Have a great day, everyone. Hi everybody.